0: The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny and i'm the senior pastor here and it is great to be with you Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor welcome Uh, this is uh, as you can uh, clearly see by the decoration the songs we've sung the prayer that we just heard this is the first sunday of the season of advent and so uh, during the season of advent uh, the church often and historically has uh, focused our attention for a few weeks on the coming of jesus his first coming his incarnation and so for the last number of uh, years, we've done that by looking at the different gospel accounts, maybe the narratives in the gospels, you know, Matthew and Luke of, of Jesus's coming, of how he took on flesh and he dwelt among us. Or, or we look at a passage like in, in John about how Jesus was the word who was in the beginning and, and he took on flesh and he dwelt amongst us. Or we look at Old Testament predictive passages prophetic words that point to the coming of jesus this is how we have historically thought about advent because advent is considering jesus's first coming and it's right for us to do that we're going to do that a little bit this morning look back on his first advent but but we're also going to do something a little bit different over the next four weeks after this week for the next three that will follow we're going to focus our attention on jesus's second advent so uh, Advent just means coming, he's, he's coming. And Jesus has said in the Gospels and it has been affirmed and reaffirmed in the New Testament that he's coming again, that, that he has gone away, but one day he will return. And so for, for this season of Advent, after this week, we're going to focus our attention on his second Advent, on his return, when he's going to come and what that's going to look like and what he will bring. But as I said this morning, we're looking at his first advent. We're going to start there because before he can come again, he had to come first. (laughs) So we're going to consider that by looking at a passage in Galatians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians 4. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you and we'll project the passage in a moment And if you came here this morning and you don't own a Bible, you don't have one, please take that one in the chair. It is yours, it is our gift to you. Uh, We would love for you to have that. And we'd love for you to have it because we believe that the Word of God is the Bible, that that this is God's Word for us. And so it is good and right for us to consider it and to have it and to read it. And so we want you to be able to do that. But Galatians chapter 4, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is reflecting for just a small little bit for just a couple of verses on the coming of jesus and in this passage we're going to hear how and why it is that jesus came so let's follow along galatians chapter 4 beginning in verse 1 paul writes i mean that the heir as long as he is a child is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father And if a son, then an heir through God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let me pray for us, Heavenly Father. We thank you for this portion of your word and ask that you would meet with us now, that you would uh, be with the one who preaches and be with the one who hears, be with us all, so that uh, what is said and done in this place will give you glory, will give you honor, will give you praise. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, on october 9th 1732 uh, two men uh, john leonard dober uh, potter and david nietzman a carpenter they were boarding a ship in copenhagen set sail for the da- uh, danish west indies and if we were there on that day as we uh, saw them boarding the ship if we happened to be walking by the dock and we saw them we would have seen nothing out of the ordinary There would have been family members and friends sending them off there would have been people wishing them well there would have been people praying and some probably even weeping crying right because uh, a trip like this from copenhagen to the danish west indies at this time in the 1700s would have been a long trip it would have been a dangerous trip right dangerous because illness sickness could arise danger because even death may ensue and so we would have seen people weeping, praying, sending them off, and we wouldn't have thought anything about it. But if, if we would have taken the time and probed a little deeper, we would have realized that there was something more than a simple journey, a simple voyage occurring here. You see, these two men, John Leonard Dober and David Nijman, they were going to a specific island in the Danish West Indies, a specific island, a place that they felt actually called to go to. And they were called to go to it, not for a vacation, not for just a few months away, but, but they were called to go there because of those who were there. You see, on a particular island in the West Indies, there was a British landowner. And he didn't just own a great deal of land, but he also owned two to 3,000 slaves. And so these two men, these two men in, the twi- in their 20s were sailing across the ocean, to go and to care, to be with, and to minister to these slaves. But what's interesting about this story, what's unique about these two men, is that they were going, and to into, into go meant that they were giving up their freedom. It meant that they were giving up their rights. It meant that they were selling themselves into slavery. You see, that's what they had to do to minister to these slaves. Because the landowner, he had the reputation of being a tyrant, of being one who who had no compassion for, for anyone that he owned or for the slaves that were on his property. And so for these two men to minister to the slaves, this landowner wouldn't allow them to if they were missionaries or pastors. He allowed no one access to them. And so for them to bring the gospel... For them to share the good news of Jesus with those slaves, they had to sell themselves into slavery. And they did so. They became like them so that they could minister to them. Those slaves, they became like. And that's what Paul tells us Jesus has done with us in this passage. That that he has become like us. That Jesus left the place of heaven, the place where angels worshipped and adored him. He left that place and he became like us. We hear it in our passage in verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. And that's part of the story of Jesus' first advent, isn't it? That Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary right? He took on flesh. That's what we hear in Luke's gospel, right? When, when the angel Gabriel, you remember in Luke's gospel, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, this, this forgotten kind of nobody sort of young girl, right? This one who's betrothed to Joseph. She has no wealth. She has no, nothing that would set her apart from anyone else. And yet the angel appears to this one and says to her, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus was conceived, miraculously, but he was conceived, and he was born of a woman. Jesus left heaven and took on flesh. He became like us. But he wasn't just like us in that he was born, under, born of a woman, but also that he was born under the law. That's what the passage said, right? Born of woman, born under the law. So like us, Jesus was born. He grew up. He said his first words. He took his first steps. He learned a profession, and he lived his life under the law of God. Okay, think about that we can easily pass that by and just keep on moving through the passage but i want you to think for just a second the significance of that jesus the creator of heaven and earth right he was there in the beginning right he was there before anything was made right jesus the one who holds all of creation together jesus the lawgiver subjected himself to that law he came under it he came under it the the lawgiver, the creator of the law, lived under the law. I imagine that uh, many of you. Uh, in your home when you're playing games, board games, card games, you have house rules. You guys know what this is, right? You play Monopoly and, and, you know, you have rules that no one else plays, right? It's just you. This is like the Penny Legion house rules or, or the Monson house rules, whatever it might be, right? These are the ways that we play this game and they're not in the rule book and no one else has ever heard of them, but when you play in my house this game, this is how you play. Right, you've, you've had this experience with little kids probably, right? You start playing a game with them, you're visiting a friend, you're visiting a family member, you're playing a board game or a card game with their kids, and miraculously, amazingly, somewhere along the way, they remember this house rule. And they always remember the house rule when it benefits them, right? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's like, you roll 12, right? And they go, oh, we forgot to tell you. Every time you're on the space you're on and you roll 12, you have to give the person next to you $600 out of your bank. And oh, it's me you give it to, right? You've seen kids do this. I mean, my kids never did this, but you know, we raised them right. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but you've seen kids do this, right? And and this, this is what they do, and this is what, how we do, right? We, we interact and we operate under these house rules, and we can m- manipulate the rules, and we can change them, and we can redirect them so they benefit us. And that would be awesome to be able to do in the real world, wouldn't it? Like, forget about board games, forget about card games. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if during tax season we could change the tax law so that so that it benefits us? Like we'd want to do that, right? If we had the power and the authority. Or, or if every time we got on 81, the speed limit changed to 95. Like that would be great. Or if every day was Taco Tuesday. Like wouldn't we want to do that? If we had the power and the authority? If we could change the rules. If we could change the laws. So that it would make our lives easier and better. And for our benefit. We would want to do that. And since we would want to do that, we would kind of expect that Jesus would want to as well, right? I mean, he had the power. He had the authority. He had the right to make the laws. And yet, instead of living outside the law, instead of living above the law, Jesus lived in subjection to the law. He was like us. In his coming, he was born of a woman. He was born under the law. But what's amazing about him becoming like us is that he lived very unlike us. Paul says he was born under the law, and we know what it's like to live under the law, right? Because all of our lives are lived under God's law in relation to it. And we know that because we know that we failed to keep God's law. We've transgressed his word. We've turned from his ways. We have sinned against him. But not Jesus. You see, this one who came under the law, who subjected himself to the very law that he made, he kept it without fail. He was circumcised according to it. His parents presented him at the temple. When he grew and was tempted, he resisted. And in the face of the commandments he obeyed, he was without sin and truly blameless. Jesus came under the law and he kept the law completely. And that is very unlike us. Because when we're tempted, we give in. And when we're called to love God above all other things to love him more than anything else in this world, we, we cling to our careers and we hold on to our status and we look for security in our economics. When we're called to love our neighbor, instead we love ourselves and show indifference to our neighbor. When we're confronted by the law, we find ways to make it more palatable, to explain it away, to justify ourselves. We are not like Christ. He came under the law, like us, but unlike us, he kept it perfectly. Where we have failed, he succeeded. Where we stumbled, he held firm. Where we sinned, he obeyed. And he did this. Becoming like us and living unlike us, he did this to save us. That's what the passage tells us. Paul says, Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, the fact that we need redeeming shows us that we are not like Jesus. It shows us how we have failed. And so Christ became like us, and he lived unlike us to redeem us. But he redeems us not through his birth. He redeems us through his death and resurrection. You see, the incarnation, Jesus' first advent, it cannot save, excuse me, it cannot save without crucifixion. It cannot save without resurrection. You see, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born and to live and to die. You see, Jesus came to give his life to give his life to redeem us, to save us. And that's what he has done. He was born and he lived in ways that we could not live. And he went to the cross and he died in our place. He took God's judgment upon us. The sinless one, the perfect one, the one who kept the law became a curse for those who broke the law. He took our sin upon himself. That is why he came to live and to die and to rise again so that we would be redeemed so that we would be redeemed so that we would be saved so that we would be changed i mean look at what he, what paul says in verses 1 through 3 he says the heir as long as he is a child is no different than a slave Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. So you hear who we were, right? Paul's telling us who we were. Who were we? We were slaves. Slaves to the elementary principles of this world. Now, now there's debate as to what what paul's talking about here and and we're not going through you know we're not preaching galatians the whole book so um so i'm just going to give you a quick idea of what i think paul's talking about i think he's talking about the elementary principles i think he's talking about the things of this world the things that we're enslaved to the things that we're giving ourselves to because later in chapter 4 a few verses after our passage Paul talks about us being enslaved to pagan ways, to false gods, to things that are contrary to the Lord. That's who we were. But now, we are no longer slaves. We are now adopted sons and daughters. Now listen, don't don't let the language of son here trip you up. Like, he's not just talking about men, okay? Okay. He's not just talking about men. He's continuing the analogy, right? The analogy that he began in verse one about heirs, right? In Paul's day, in his culture, the heir, the heir to to property, to land, to whatever it might be, was the son. And so he's simply continuing that analogy. He's using the language of his day, but he's not limiting what Jesus does for just men. He's, he's, he's extending it. He's broadening it because we know in chapter 3 that all who are redeemed, Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female are all one in Christ. And so when he talks about us being adopted, we are adopted sons and daughters. We are brought into God's family. We are co-heirs. Right? That's what we see in verses 6 through 7. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See what Jesus does for us? He adopts us into god's family we are adopted because of what christ has done into god's family and we are given a new name we are no longer slaves but we are now sons and daughters we are heirs of the king and because we've been redeemed and saved we're brought into god's family and we cry out abba father many of you know that word abba it has a very intimate connotation it's like saying papa or daddy, right? And this is how we often interact with our fathers, right? I mean, my kids, they don't ever call me father, right? <laughs> I mean, they do sometimes, but on- only when they're being silly, right? Or-, or when they're being overly formal, which my kids are never overly formal, so they're being silly when they're trying to be overly formal, right? That's the only time we use that language of father. No, in our time of need, In our sadness, when we're overwhelmed with joy, they call me dad. Or maybe in your family, it's daddy or papa. But it's something warm and intimate. It's language of one who loves and is loved. And that is what we say to our father. We cry out to him, we call out to him as those who have been loved and those who love him. And this is where it might be hard for you to believe our passage. Because I imagine that many, most of you here, you have no problem believing that Jesus came in the flesh that he was born of the Virgin Mary. You have no problem with his miraculous birth. You have no problem with him living a perfect life. You have no problem with him going to the cross for our sins and rising again and ascending into heaven and returning one day. You have no problem with any of those things for the forgiveness of sins, for for Jesus to, to extend to his grace and mercy and kindness. You have no problem believing those things, but maybe, maybe you have a problem believing that he does it because he loves you. He did it because he had to, he did it because he must and so we hear Abba Father and we hear love and we wonder, does he really love me? Does he really love us? One of my favorite singer-songwriters is a man named Sufjan Stevens and he just released a new album, it just came out a month or two ago. And in it, there's this song, and it goes like this. It says, chase away my heart and heartache. Run me over, throw me over, cast me out. Find a river running to the west wind. Just over the shoreline, you will see a cloud. Tie me to a tiny wooden raft. Burn my body. Point me to the undertow. Push me off into the void at last. Watch me drift and watch me struggle. Let me go, because I really want to know. And then the chorus kicks in, because I really want to know, will anybody ever love me? For good reasons, without grievance, not for sport. Will anybody ever love me? In every season, pledge allegiance to my heart. Pledge allegiance to my burning heart. That's the question that fills our minds. And that is the ache of our hearts will anybody really ever love me? Really love, not just with words, but in every season and without grievance, love me. That is the question that fills our hearts and that is the question that our neighbors and our family members and our coworkers and every one of us is longing to answer, will anyone ever love me? And the answer of Advent is yes. It is yes. And God shows his love for us because at the right time, in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son to be like us, to live unlike us, to save us, to redeem us from our sin, and out of love to adopt us into our family so that we in love can cry out to him, Abba, Father, Will anybody ever love me? Will anybody love you or us? The answer is yes. Christ has given his life. He has come and he has lived and died and risen again out of love so that we can now be the part, be part of his family, so that we can now cry out to him and look back on Christ's first advent with love and gratitude. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you Thank you that you have sent your son, our Lord Jesus. He took on flesh. He was born of woman. He lived in ways that we could not live. He kept your law. And he gave his life so that we would be redeemed, so that we would be saved. And so we thank you. We cry out, Abba, Father. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the love that you have shown to your people. Help us to live with gratitude. As we now look back, with affection, with gratitude at Jesus's first coming. We pray that you would now allow the rest of our worship, our singing, our dining at your table to honor and please you. Our God and our King, in whose name we pray, and all God's people said together, Amen.